Father, I just thank you. You're a holy, holy, holy God, and we can, can't say it enough. You are separate from all creation in your holiness. You spoke it into existence. You molded man with your own hands and then breathed a life into us. And you tell us we were created to glorify you, not ourselves. And you created this great, awesome rescue plan through your son Jesus to rescue a people that deserve nothing. And those words are so easy to come out of my mouth, but just to understand the depths of our own sinful ways, Father. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger. Lord, may the words from my mouth be your words and not my own, and may I get out of the way. And may all of our hearts be humbled to receive the word. And may we not just receive the word, but may we be transformed by it. And then when we're transformed by it, may we desire with greater boldness to go tell others. Lift this up in Christ's matchless name. Amen. I literally do have a timer. That timer's going to go off. So we are going to stick to the time. So... We have been going through this series on revival continually. And uh, I feel it's very appropriate at this time we are in our nation, in our city, um, about revival. I'm going to read something from a Baptist minister, Don Attenborough in Great Britain, that he wrote um, about a revival in Wales that happened in the early 1900s. And I believe we read it before. In the Welsh revival of 1905, the nation was changed in a matter of weeks. Thousands upon thousands of unsaved people were in a short time moved by heavily influenced to get right with God. The public houses and places of leisure were almost emptied, and work areas were ablaze with talk about salvation. The old hymns were sung on the way to and down the mines, and new ones were composed. The churches overflowed with the unconverted wanting to get saved from God's coming judgment on the world for its sin and rejection of his son, Jesus Christ. Revival is a sovereign act of God that renews God's people, for God's people is a fresh discovery of Jesus. It all began at Pentecost 2,000 years ago, but time and again, God's people have lost their way and his mercy Through the centuries, God has stepped in and revived them again and again, sending times of refreshing and fulfilling his promise to pour water on the spiritually dry ground. He is still doing so around the world today. In this way, God fulfills and keeps his promise in Ezekiel 34, 26. And I will cause the shower to come down in its season and there shall be showers of blessing. What are your thoughts on that? God again and again needing to refresh his people to bring a revival to them. Question. 
So since we've been going through this revival series, can anyone tell me again, you can just shout it out, what revival is? To live again, yes. Revival from the Latin root words, re, again, and vive, to live. And as Brother Nick read in Ephesians 14, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. God, through his word, is saying to the church, wake up, you are sleeping, death is all around you. We are entertaining darkness, that which you were free from. Wake up and let the Holy Spirit expose the things that are wrong in your life. Then through that, Jesus removes the darkness, which represents the sin in your life. You feel like that's something you go through? Every day, every day, we are bombarded by the world and their standards and what they say is good and what isn't good and what is right and what is wrong. And we are taking it in more so than we take in the very word of God. And we are heavily impacted more than we can possibly imagine. And it's so apparent now in the local church of God with this desire and this pull within us to want to do right, but we kind of look out instead of looking to the Word of God. And that's why you have seen us in this series, Revival to Live Again, preach on things like back to the book. Because to live again is to live again for who? Jesus. And so it's back to what he says, not what we think. Wake up, you who are sleeping. Also means get from a state of slumber and false security. Look around us, we have so much at our disposal. So much at our disposal. Anything we want is at our disposal. You can go to a local Costco. One Costco could probably feed an entire third world country all the food that goes through. We have it, and we're so used to it. We lost a little power in certain areas, uh, and, uh, and our internet went down, and you would have thought that the house was on fire. For me. <laughs> I can't print this off. What's going on? Spent an hour and a half trying to print this off. Just all disrupted over, I couldn't print something off. Like life had come to a standstill. When things are great, we are on cloud nine, and then we tend to, and I remember talking to another brother about this, we tend to not need God as much, right? Things are great, we are hopping and skipping, God is good, and smiling and walking along, and everything is just dandy. I would argue that's when we actually need him even more, because that's when the enemy will slip in, and that's when we have some of our greatest falls. We get relaxed, we pull away, we don't need the, the various grace, disposals of grace that God has put before us. And then the world around us starts to consume us. You know, folks, it is this type of sleeping 
that also impacts our love for the local church and how we view it, how we interact with it, how we pursue it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I call this revival our love for the church. How should, then, if we are revived, living again for Jesus, should our love be for the church? What does that look like? Before we answer that, though, I really feel we need to answer what is church because I think a lot of people, we all shake our heads to things all the time. Yep, that's right. And then even we in leadership are going, oh, yeah, it makes sense. They got it. And then later on, we understand that maybe we just shook our heads to it, but we didn't really understand it. So I feel a need for us to have clarity from Scripture on what the church actually is. So let's walk through that, okay? I'm going to go through a blazing amount of different Scriptures. And um, if I need to slow down, someone raise their hand, slow down. <laughs> we're going to walk through this. What is the church? And then we're going to get to, then what does Jesus say about it? And what should be our response as a takeaway, Okay. So the word church is a translation of the Greek word ecclesia, which is defined as an assembly or called out once. The root meaning of church is not of a building, but of people. I know we've heard this before. How many times? I, I was talking to someone the other day. He came up and his name was, I, I remember his name because he's like, oh, just remember, I'm the guy that does the headlights on the car. And I had invited him to church and, uh, and I said, oh, our church is at this street corner on here. We don't realize how often we are training people, both Christians and non-Christians, to believe that the church is a building. We say it so often. Instead of saying, hey, where we the church gather is here. And boy, that'd be a great opening to being able to explain the gospel, wouldn't it? But we often say, our church, my church. Training ourselves to view a building as church. The church is a body of Christ of which he is the head. Ephesians 1, through 23 says, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The body of Christ is made up of all believers in Jesus Christ from the day of Pentecost until Christ returns. Romans 16, 5. Let's look at this, and let's pay close attention to what it says. So Paul, I believe, is talking about Prisca and Aquila and their home. And he says, greet the church that is in their house. He didn't say, greet the house, which is their church. He says, greet the church that is in their house, emphasizing the people, the body of believers, are the church. The local church is described in Galatians 1, 1 through 2. Paul, an apostle, and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. Here we see that in the province of Galatia, there were many churches. They had a localized ministry and were scattered throughout the province. They were local churches, a local body of believers. You guys with me so far? You with me? All right. What are the pillars of a local church? 
Well, first, let's stop there real quick. Is a local church made up of anyone that comes? No. And I believe I gave the answer in the scripture we read. God created man in the beginning, and man was blameless. And then man sinned, which means they did not glorify God, they glorified themselves. That's why you could just go through the book of Romans, Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but yet all are freely justified by grace that is the redemption. God made Jesus a sacrifice of atonement for our sins. I think that's great three verses to witness to people on because it just, in a nutshell, tells you the status of man, what God has done, and how. But in Romans 10, 9, it tells us also that we confess that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts he was raised from the dead. We will be saved. There's confession. We confess it. And when we confess our sins, we receive the Spirit of God and we become and belong to Jesus. And it is those people, called people, who make up the local church. And we'll go further into it, but just think the church is for, is made up of the local body of believers. And then we bring other people into the fold that may not know God. So as we are being trained up in hopes that they also will be grafted in by repentance and faith, coming to the fullness of Jesus and become a believer and become part of the body as well. So just setting the stage for that. Again, those who repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus are and make up the body of Christ. So what are the pillars of it? Hebrews 10.5, not forsaking our own assembly together, as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near. So it's an assembly. So we have an assembly. We're getting there. We have an assembly of believers. And they are to encourage one another. An assembly of believers that encourage one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So, through Christ, we are to become members of the local church body. He tells us you're individually members of it. For a church body to function properly, all of its body parts need to be present and working. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 20. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, what would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So, an assembly, we encourage each other. We are individual members of it. We all bring different giftings. We are all different in the body. 
from ethnicity to different upbringings, we have been brought from all over. And yet all very important in the body of Christ. Assembly, members of it, encourage each other, diverse, each one equally important. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Oh, so there is raised up leaders over a local church. So, assembly, encourage each other. We're all considered members of that local body. We're diverse, each one equally important. And the Lord calls leaders to be under shepherds to help equip them for the work of ministry. So now we have leaders are a part of this. So we are called to the local church body to be equipped for the work of ministry by leaders. Now, if you look into 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and Timothy, Titus 1, 5 through 9, you'll see the qualifications for it. He lays that out. What does it mean to raise up? Matter of fact, if you look at the New Testament, when they were going and launching churches, what were they doing? They were raising up leaders, raising up elders to oversee and look after them. Why is this important? Because sometimes we tend to think that if we gather together seven or eight people, that's good enough. That's not the church. The church is not a gathering of a group of Christians that have gathered together. The church has specifics that make it a church. And a gathering is only one of them. So we have assembly. Encourage each other. We're members of it. We're diverse, each one equally important. We have raised up leaders. And we see the qualifications that must be. It just can't be anyone. There are certain qualifications on that, on how we're raised up in it. What, and what for? Until we all attain the unity of faith of the knowledge of the Son of God. It's until God returns. So the church is for training up those who believe in Christ. So then we can increase in knowledge. So we go out to the ministry at hand, Matthew 28, 19. Go and make disciples. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey my commands, and surely I will be with you until the end of the earth. What else? Is that it? Is that the only thing? So, got raised up leaders. We have an assembly gathering. They encourage each other. It's a diverse group. Is there anything else we're missing? Yes. There are the holy ordinances that God has commanded of the church. Baptism and communion. Very important part of it. To be baptized is to identify ourselves with the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As well as to identify our union with Christ's death and resurrection. Matthew 28, 19 that we just read. 
or Romans 6, 3, 5? <clears throat> or don't you know that all of us who were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized in his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that Jesus as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. We too may live in new life. Baptism is an important function of a believer because the Lord commands us to, that we outwardly proclaim what has inwardly occurred by the work of the Spirit, which is new birth. To receive the Lord's Supper is to proclaim his death and our membership in his body. He says, every time you drink the cup and eat the bread, you proclaim my death until I return. God wants his people to be known and marked off. There's specifics he's given us is what I'm getting at. The church is not the gathering of any group of people. It's the gathering of a group of saved people with leadership that's been chosen amongst them. A diverse group of people, because they all come from different backgrounds, encouraging each other. And holding to the ordinances that the Lord has commanded us. Baptism and communion. Now, let me ask you, can anyone do these? These ordinances, are, are they to be carried out by anyone? Can anyone do them? So I go to Acts 28, where he, Acts 20, verse 8, where he tells, and it goes to leaders that <clears throat> pay close attention to those the Holy Spirit has made you overseers over. Or um, he tells us in Hebrews 13, 17, be obedient to the, to basically to leadership, not for the purpose of stroking our ego, but for as ones who give an account for your soul. God has put leaders in the local church to carry out his commands to ensure in increasing fashion that believers of Christ are built up in Christ accordingly. That is what we are held responsible for. That doesn't mean you don't have your own responsibility in pursuing the word of God, but it means in far as the local church body, the Lord has put leaders above that, over that, to ensure that these are my commands and you will give an account for carrying them out. So, the local church is a group of Christians. They have regular gathering, pastoral oversight. There's a preaching and teaching of the word. And there's the ordinances, ordinances <laughs> of baptism and communion. Does that make sense? That is what the church is. This is why... During COVID, you heard from the pastors at times seeming like we're nitpicking on things, but calling out different things on people to come back into church, saying things like, hey, we get that everyone's going to be at a certain place based on COVID, but if you can't come to church, but we can see you freely hanging out with a bunch of other people, no mask or with mask in different times, then why can't you do that in the church body and find it just as important? This is why... We call and pursue you 
Because if we don't see you for a while, we want to know what's going on and how can we help? How can we walk with you? This is why when there are problems within the church, we don't run away. We stand right here, walk with you, even though it's wonky, even though it's going to look ugly, even though we can get on each other's nerves. But we stay the course. The body of Christ is not just some optional thing. It is a commanded gathering of believers to have under shepherds over them to help teach and preach the word and carry out the ordinances of baptism and communion so then we can grow into Christ's likeness and go back out. Acts 2, 42 through 47. And many more can be added to our number. Well, that's our church. And hopefully that makes sense to you, what the church is. Now, how did Christ view the church? Well, I know the book of John, he says, the word, was with, the word was God and the word was with God. We know that's Christ. You can say, well, you've just gone over what Christ thinks. Ah, but there's a few scriptures we can point out to give you specifics on more of what he thought. How did Christ view the church? Ephesians 3, 10 through 11. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. One. Two, Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without a stain or wrinkle. I think Jesus put an explanation point on his view and his love for the church. He died for it. So if we are to be revived to live again for Christ, then how should we love the church? Well, we can only need to go to our brothers in the New Testament and see how they love the church. They preach the word of God and truth, call people to repentance, raising up leaders so the church can continue to spread in that local area, the word of God. And they kept doing it unto death. So to live again, to be revived, to live again means to live for Christ again, to be renewed, to have a spiritual renewal where we're now go from, oh, Christ died for the cross, to Christ died for me on the cross. What is my next thing I need to do? Well, let's just look at his word and let's go do it. There's four things I want to point out, tangible things that we can do when we talk about revival and to live again and to be spiritually renewed and to be all about Jesus Christ. There's four things. Now, there's different things we can pull out. These are four specific things we can stick with. One, speak truth. The church has much value than we can even see, than I can even see. 
too often when we're having a hard time or things or we're having, we're a sleepy Christian, then we have more problems with the church. We criticize the church and we often say things like, well, the church has been awful. I would disagree. The church has not been awful because the head of the church is Christ. He's pure and perfect. Are there members within the body that can badly represent at times? Sure. But that's not the church at large. Because nothing associated with God is a bad thing, especially his church. But I know you can read articles and all oh, the church has been. We, we overplay words and need to look at specifics. The church has been a great gift to the world to preach the truth about who Jesus is, who is trying to save people who does not care about being saved. The church is a great thing. There is no problem with the church. But if we want to make the church look better, right, if we, if we want to put on a better shine, then part of that is we can be obedient to the word and pursue the word. And one of the things, again, speaking truth to each other. I always hear people bring up this... Um, Christ and the woman at the well. I've heard that a few different times. They say, oh, they, they love the part where Christ was like, go and sin no more. But we forget about the part where Christ literally called out our sin. The man you're with right now is not even your husband. There's several men in your life. Now go and sin no more. When is the last time any of you said to a brother or sister, brother, these are the sins I see. Now, in the name of Jesus Christ, repent of your sins and go and sin no more. Anyone said that to anyone recently? Sometimes we confuse, we, we see the love of Christ as being the part that's just we, the fleshly gentle part. The love of Christ is actually speaking the truth to each other because we want to see each other transform. Now, listen, there can be a different thing. We can be harsh to each other. I'm guilty of that. We can say something and I told them the truth. And you can feel it later on by the grace of God. No, I was really more flesh, brother, but you did the truth. <laughs> Let's repent of that. But we do need to speak truth, and we start within the church. We need to speak more truth to each other. I mean, we can say a number of times, if you saw a neighbor's house on fire, and there was a person within the church, you're just going to walk by? Or are you going to plead your case? Man, Tom, your house is on fire. Even if Tom says, nah, I got you, man. No, really, your house is on fire. I got you. No, your house is on fire. You're going to plead your case. And so it would be in the body of Christ. We speak truth to each other, not for the purpose of beating each other down, because we want to see each other built up. And as Pastor Mike preached about months ago, reflexively, we're gonna ref we are going to look at ourselves and our own sin first, so perhaps by the grace of God, we have more humility when we call out each other's sins. And granted, when we do these things, it ain't going to look pretty. We, people can get upset and sparks fly, and, but that is a harsh reality. But it's a beautiful thing, learning to speak truth to each other and wanting to outdo each other in, in love and honor in that. Not that you're looking like, who am I going to upset today? No, it's like, who am I going to serve today and love on 
and want to point them more towards Christ. Number two, show up. At least seven times in Paul's epistles expresses his longing to be face-to-face. Face-to-face with churches he loved. He repeatedly commands those who are privileged to gather together, to actually be together. We need to show up. That's another reason why during this time of COVID, you've seen the pastors of the church be sort of a sanctified nag on coming back in and gathering. There is more happening, people, than we can possibly imagine in our souls when we gather together. Right now, as we just sit, the Lord is doing work in us. Showing up is huge. So speak truth to each other. Show up. I mean, we show up for work no matter what, right? We've got to get a paycheck. So why does it become optional with church? I'm not saying you're not going to have busy times. You know, I was just talking to someone else, and they're going to be in school and so on, and they may not be able to show up uh, on a Sunday service and so on always or when we have other times. Hey, that's, that makes sense. But outside of that, we want to check our hearts and go, do I treat this even more importantly than I do work? Even when I don't feel like it? There's plenty of times at work I don't feel like going in. Or even though I work from home, I don't feel like checking in. I'd rather check out. But nonetheless, we want our paycheck. We go do it, right? Why not with Christ? Number three, invest. You know, we look at the life of Paul. He prayed night and day. And was willing to even be poured out as a drink offering. He willingly experienced much persecution. He had great anxiety for all the churches. You can go in 2 Corinthians 11, 28. He was worried about the churches. He cared. He was all in, desiring to be with them. When we serve the church, sacrificially investing in its well-being in any way that we are able, we'll find that, like Paul, our lives become a knit to God's people. As we deliberately love them with our actions, we will begin to love them with our hearts. That's what it becomes. When we speak truth, show up, invest our lives, even when we don't feel like it, the Lord will do a great work with that. What does he tell us? You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong intentions. Well, if we ask with the intentionality that aligns with what God is, he will deliver accordingly. There is no way that he would not deliver if you went to him and said, Father, I want a deepening for the local church body. Father, I want to speak the truth greater in love. Father, I want to just be all in in increasing fashion. You mean to tell me he's not going to do that? That's not aligned with me. I'm sorry. Of course he will. 
And the last thing is give thanks. You know, you can go throughout the New Testament and you will find in many of scriptures Paul giving thanks. In Romans 1, 8, for, for the gifts and grace, for the prayers, for the love for other Christians, for the partnership in the gospel, for their steadfastness, for their growth in the faith. You can go Ephesians 1, 15 through 16, Colossians 1, 3 through 4, 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 3, Philippians 1, 3 through 5. Tons of scriptures where he gave thanks for the local body of believers. Let me ask you, when have you last used your private and family prayer time to give thanks for the local church that you're at? The local church is our heaven on earth. It is the only place that God calls us to gather to be built up in him. And, this, and since we're so diverse and we're going to get on each other's nerves and we're going to sharpen each other, when we learn to get through that, how much better will it be for us when we go out in the world and dealing with people that don't agree with what we agree with and we're trying to witness to them? This is the proving ground where we sharpen. This isn't the place where we just come on Sunday and then go back and just go live our lives. This is the place where we increasingly live our lives in increasing fashion and desire, knowing that our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ is doing a great work in us. So speak truth. Invest. Give thanks, show up. Those are four things we can hang on to, right? Speak truth. Repeat after me. Speak truth. Speak truth. Show, up, show up, invest, yes. and give thanks. Let's pray. Father, you're an awesome God. That you would save a wretched people like us just to think about it and looking even at my own sin, it amazes. <laughs> it's amazing. The patience, the care. Father, I know that you have every person here and online here for a reason. One thing to grow them in your son's likeness. Father, I ask for more of the spirit for all of us, that we be stirred up for the truths, that we would have increased love to speak truth, have an increased desire to show up, have an increased desire to invest, and have an increased desire to actually appreciate the local church. That we do less beating up on it, but do more praising of it. Would you do a work in all of our hearts, Father? That we truly would show the world that the local church body is a gift to the world. Lift these up in Christ's matchless name. Amen.